Race to the Bottom episode 14 uh, with me, your host Joe Harmon. This week's episode, I talked with Jules Boykoff, uh, a professor of politics in Portland, Oregon, USA. Jules has written extensively on the role of sport in society and recently done some work with Dave Zirin of Edge of Sports podcast regarding the Tokyo 2020 Olympics and the protests that are going on there. Um, I wanted to speak to Jules regarding the current anti-fascist protest that the Timbers Army of the Portland Timbers in the MLS in America. Timbers Army are a uh, fan supporters group who have stood for a long period of time against racism, against fascism, and their TIFOs and their displays and their banners during the stadium, uh, one particularly the Iron Front symbol has drawn significant criticism and further now banning of said symbol by the MLS fan code of conduct for being political. So I spoke to Jules regarding this matter and what it means in the wider aspect of fan activism, sport activism in the game at the moment. Here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Jules, thanks for giving me the time to discuss what over this side and in England will probably be a bit of an an alien topic, really. It's something that although the MLS is is really garnering a worldwide following now, especially in the UK, it's, you know, something that that we're very aware of um, and follow as as well. Um, The protests, what happened on the 24th of last month regarding the Portland Timbers and the Seattle Sounders is something that we don't witness in, in England, in, uh, in our football stadiums, in our sports stadiums. Um, could you shed light on that topic kind of for, for the listener, for myself? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, I was there that night when the Portland Timbers, we were playing our arch rival team, the Seattle Sounders, in a huge rivalry match. And the Timbers Army had arranged ahead of time. The Timbers Army is the major supporters group for the Portland Timbers Football Club. And the Timbers Army had arranged ahead of time along with the supporters for the Seattle Sounders, to have 33 minutes of silence at the beginning of the match. Now, the Timbers Army is known for being super rambunctious, and so 33 minutes of silence was incredibly, incredibly conspicuous. And it was also silent on the other side of the pitch where the Sounders fans sat in the supporters section for the visitors. And so at the 33rd minute, that sort of white noise murmur burst wide open and you had like all this energy just flowing into the stadium. So to kind of unpack that a little bit, uh, first of all, it was just stunning to be there. It was it was freakish to be there and it was very, very uncommon um, for starters. Second, there was a whole lot of symbolism built into the act. And so the 33 minutes symbolized the 1933, the year that Adolf Hitler outlawed the Iron Front symbol. The Iron Front symbol sits at the center of this controversy. Uh, To just backstep a little bit, Joe, back before the Major League Soccer season started, 
they the major league soccer instituted a rule for the fans that said you could not be political inside the stadium on your banners and on your signs and so this is the first time in the history of major league soccer that this happened it's also the only league of a major sports league in the united states that has some sort of rule banning political speech on signs and that did not make timbers army happen a uh, happy and so that's kind of was the the catalyst for a lot of this happening it's something that has been synonymous with the Timbers Army for, for quite some time, isn't it, Jules? The Iron Front symbol. They are, they are a, a supporters group that are, are quite steeped in anti-fascist, uh, anti-racist stance and, and beliefs. Is that, is that right? That's exactly right. I mean, it's a highly political supporters group and it has been anti-fascist for a long, long time. And, you know, that points to the other really important ingredient in what happened that night, and that is that Portland has been experiencing protests involving white power nationalists, groups like the Proud Boys and the Patriot Prayer Group, who come to Portland, have these rallies, huge police presence, huge, huge cost to the public, you know, taxpayer dollars getting spent on policing. And then you have these kerfuffles that emerge between uh, anti-fascist protesters who are there to try to drown out, you know, these sort of right wing white nationalist protesters and then who often, you know, get in little um, struggles with them along the way. And so Timber's Army is political. And when that's happening in your city, that's an extra impetus to try to step up against fascism. So that really is the other key factor, both the major league soccer rule and the fact that you know, incipient neo-fascists have been moving their their game to Portland for some time now. Yeah, it's something that um, you know, using using Twitter allows a really wide kind of news feed. But it's it's something that we were aware of over here, kind of the the, the riots that that occurred in in Portland and the and the 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 conflict of of anti-fascist kind of movements trying to uh, oppose people like the Proud Boys and and stuff like that. Um, it's it's not settled down, has it, um, Jules? In fact, you know, your your message to me was was see how things go at, at Real Salt Lake before we talk, um, and and the fallout of um, the the Timbers Army maintaining their support for the Iron Front symbol has has led to is it is it several bannings of of some of the fans? Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So what happened the following week? Portland played against Real Salt Lake, and totally just ignored the ban on Iron Front banners. And you had numerous flags flying with the Iron Front symbol on it, just a big old, you know, middle finger to Major League Soccer and to the ownership of the Portland Timbers, who has basically supported the rule that Major League Soccer has put forth. They say they're anti-fascists, but they say you can't fly the Iron Front symbol because it's been associated with Antifa, maybe something we can dive into here, because I think there's an oversimplified version of what Antifa is believed to be coming out of the Portland ownership. So yeah, people said, all right, we're going to fly the banners anyways. We don't care. And there were actually pictures of the owner of the Portland Timbers. One of the owners, his name is Merritt Paulson, the son of a treasury secretary, his father, Henry Paulson, whose part owner was the treasury secretary under President George W. Bush. There's pictures of Merritt Paulson with his little binoculars up in his owner's box, kind of looking down, trying to see what's happening down there. So clearly they were watching 
and some people who are responsible for waving the banners. These are huge flags. So you can't mm. miss who's holding the banner. And they have been given three-game bans by Major League Soccer. And the response from Timbers Army, that which just came out on uh, Thursday, so the 5th of September, is that there's going to be another protest in the stadium this weekend when Kansas City comes to town on Saturday the 7th. And it looks like Timbers Army is going to not fly any flags of any sort, and they're not going to deploy any smoke for goal celebrations, which is a big tradition in Portland. And they're talking about how their focus will be on education. They'll use banners with words instead of symbols. So it sounds like they won't be flying the Iron Front, though I don't know how they're really going to control that if a renegade member wants to do so. And they're also going to keep pushing against the league for this this rule that outlaws political speech in the fan code of conduct. And so this this saga is going to continue, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens against Kansas City this weekend. I'd like to kind of have a hazard a guess of, of where it's going. But before we go into that, Jules, March, the new code of conduct came out. I think it was proposed or there were rumours in January that there was going to be an alteration to the, the fans' code of conduct. Where has this come about? And, and yeah, where where do you feel that this has come from? It seems to be in the in the media that several unhappy fans cited it. You know, well done to them if they've managed to change an entire fan code of conduct policy. But I kind of feel that it might come from higher up and encompass the wider issues that America are experiencing right now. Yeah. So the origination of the rule from Major League Soccer is a bit fuzzy, but from media reports, just like you said, it seems like Major League Soccer was responding to some complaints that they got from fans not wanting to mix politics in with their soccer. You know, I haven't seen the actual evidence, the the emails or the phone calls from the fans. So, you know, we kind of have to rely on Major League Soccer, who says they want to create this you know welcoming atmosphere for all fans and, and so on. Um, I would just say kind of at the root of this of this policy, though, is a double standard. Major League Soccer is perfectly happy to have politics enter the stadium if it's of a particular type. And for example, what I mean is every single team, all 22 Major League Soccer teams from the United States, you know, we have a couple in Canada or three in Canada as well, but all 22 Major League Soccer teams in the United States wore camouflage jerseys in their warm-ups honoring the U.S. military. Obviously, that's political. That's sanctioned by Major League Soccer. Uh, we sing the national anthem before mm. every match. You know, I was in England not too long ago, saw a West Ham match in, in the old stadium, by the way, so that's how long ago it was, but not the new Olympic stadium. And I was with my friend who was actually Spanish but lives in England, and, and I said to him, like, yeah, we'd be listening to the national anthem right now. It's actually kind of interesting to not have it. And he was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? You know, so that's even political, if you ask me. But, you know, so you have people dressing up in these warm-ups to honor the military. And, and another example is a player, Alejandro Bedoya, who plays for the Philadelphia Union. After he scored a big goal in a match a few weeks ago, he saw a hot mic sitting on the side of the field. He ran over to the mic, picked it up, and he said something like, Congress, you know, end gun violence. Let's do this thing right now. And, and not only did Major League Soccer not sanction him, but he was actually voted as the player of the week that week. And my, my point is simply this, is that there's plenty of room for politics in soccer stadiums here for Major League Soccer. It's just this particular type of politics, which is basically boiled down to Antifa, 
is what they don't want to have in their stadiums. Antifa seems to be um, the, the bogeyman, the, the bogey topic with lots of kind of media brands. Where does that align? Where does that link in with the Iron Front, Jules? Right. So I, I think you're exactly right. Antifa has become the bogeyman. And in fact, uh, the Portland Timbers issued a statement, the front office, the ownership group issued a statement that explained, hey, we're anti-fascist. We don't like fascists. We just don't think Antifa is a great group. And that is why we don't want the Iron Front symbol. They were explicit about it. I mean, they let the, the animals out of the barn, if you will. And, and basically, they, they said exactly what you're saying, is that Antifa is a bogeyman. And the problem is that a lot of people, when they think of Antifa, they simply think of a small group of anti-fascists who use the black bloc tactic who dress up in black, in other words, sometimes wear masks, and who, who engage in self-defense uh, that sometimes results in violence and fighting off you know, actual fascists. And so we have a group in Portland called Rose City Antifa, and many of their members uh, engage in the black bloc tactic, dressing up in black, putting on masks, and and fighting off fascists when they they come to Portland. And you know, let me be clear. I mean, my I have no problem whatsoever with um, that that type of anti-fascist. I have no problem whatsoever for Rose City Antifa. In fact, I know for a fact that behind the scenes on the most recent protest day when right wingers came to Portland and were promising to you know put violence on all sorts of people immigrants and others i know for a fact that rose city antifa was communicating with one of the lead groups who are working with homeless folks in our town called Street Roots, and they were advising Street Roots to let them know if there was going to be any action of any of these sort of neo-fascists coming down toward their area. And so, like, you know, Rose City Antifa is really looking out for the marginalized in society in many ways. And so while Merritt Paulson, the owner of the Portland Timbers, has clearly fingered Antifa, and I think by that he means the black bloc a portion of Antifa. I, I don't side with that at all. I think it's actually much more complicated. The second thing is that in Portland right now, we're having a really robust conversation about what anti-fascism actually is. And we have a group in our city called Popular, Mob, Popular Mobilization. They also go by Pop Mob. And they are trying. They're starting a hashtag and and really trying to push the idea that we're all anti-fascists. If you're if you're not a fascist, you better be anti-fascist. Yeah. And they have the hashtag everyday anti-fascist that they've been putting out there. They had a band of people dressed up as bananas. It was like a marching band of bananas playing instruments. They're anti-fascist. You have grandmas, you know, the grandmas fighting for justice. They're anti-fascist. And then you also have those from Rose City Antifa and some people who dress up in black and put masks on. They're also anti-fascists. But that's the kind of conversation we're having right now. And I guess you could say that in a way, that's an important conversation to be having, and we might not be having it in such robust and public fashion were it not for this strange Major League Soccer rule outlawing political speech on banners and stadiums. Yeah, because it seems to be opposed with um, a lot of campaigning groups throughout, especially in Europe, um, you know, FC St. Pauli, which are a big influence on the on the Timbers army, and mm -hmm. Borussia Dortmund, who, who are just legendary with their, their fan groups. You know, they recently... I think we're nominated for pretty much for, for being a, a proactive uh, group that takes stances against kind of fascism and racism. So, uh, you know, on one side of the football world, you have a, a trend where football groups and, and football bodies are moving towards uh, encompassing 
kind of the, the anti-racist, anti-fascist um, narratives. And and here the MLS have kind of booked the trend with with a really woolly phrasing of the term, which has led to really an inconsistent punishment system as, as well, Jules, isn't it? Because there seems to be, if, if I'm right in thinking, and, and what I've read from the Timbers Army when when Seattle came to, to came to you guys at, at Portland, both groups were were flying the flag, and mm-hmm. and if I'm right in, in what I read, I think Timbers Army were asked to remove theirs, or, or Timbers Army were sanctioned, and the Seattle supporters, the e- ECS, um, and city supporters, right? And so they didn't receive any. Uh, condemnation or any punishment. We're, I was just reading about a, a Vancouver Whitecaps fan, Josh Griffin. I think he's 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 got a bit of airtime um, on on Twitter and stuff with regards to him receiving a ban for again flying the the Iron Front symbol at a Vancouver Whitecaps game, and then after questioning it, having it rescinded and, and put down to a miscommunication. Um, mm-hmm. There there is an issue with with what the what MLS have, have put out here, isn't there? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And there, there's been, there's been, it's very, been very uneven in terms of the application, in other words. And so some people get kicked out of the matches for not even having the iron front, just referring to anti-fascism. We've seen that in various uh, stadiums in the, here in the United States and major league soccer. And then, and then other people waving the flag and nothing happening, the iron front flag and nothing happening whatsoever. You know, part of it has been even made more confusing by the fact here in Portland that the ownership front office of the Portland Timbers team issued this statement saying, of course, that they they stand steadfast against fascism and all that. But they also try to make this uh, distinction between political issues and human rights issues. And for them, they say that anti-racism, marriage equality laws, uh, gun control are examples of things that they have said move into the realm of of human rights, and therefore they're not political. I mean, <laughs> they're trying to draw a, a distinction then between the Iron Front symbol, which they associate with Antifa, and therefore they think is political, versus like pushing for gun control measures within the political system, which you would think is political if you're trying to, you know, implore Congress in the case of Alejandro Bedoya. I mean, that's obviously political, Mm. uh, but that doesn't count because it's a human rights issue. So in a weird way, the Timbers ownership and trying to clarify actually maybe may have made the waters even more muddy here. And, you know, that's a tough job. I mean, that's definitely that they've entered into a definitional thicket there. Drawing a sharp line between political and human rights is, is a very difficult thing to do. I mean, political theorists might have a hard time, let alone a PR guy from Portland Timbers or Major League Soccer. So I guess the point is, though, that they keep doing these things where there's the uneven application of the rules like you're talking about, Joe, or trying to define out what political is and what human rights issues are. And they've only made it more difficult for themselves. Where do you see um, this situation going, Jules, with, you know, with the three fans that have received their ban going over the MLS's fan code of conduct? First offence is like three to five matches. Second is something like five to seven. And then it says... Three offences within twelve months is is a year ban, which mm-hmm. the the nature of the the Timbers Army seems like they're they're not ones to back down. Is it the classic uh, Mourinho tactic of getting eleven different players on your team to get a yellow card each match so nobody ends up getting sent off? Mm-hmm. 
or or is it going to reach like a bit of a, an ugly head do you think that's that's an interesting uh, comparison there i hadn't thought about that with the Mourinho <laughs> and yellow cards i like that but you know it's predictions tricky business you know carl barks wrote a lot about uh trying to avoid writing recipes for the cook shops of the future but I would just guess, based on what Timber's army has done in the past, that we will continue to see the Iron Front flag. Now, they say they're not going to fly any flags this weekend. I don't know. I'll be interested to see what happens there. I mean, the other approach, and I've heard people talking about this who I know that are involved in, in Timber's army, although it's not, this, is not, this is just like background noise that I've been hearing from people I know, is that another idea was to you know, have everybody fly Iron Front flags. Because if everybody does it, it's going to be virtually impossible to you know, crack down on 6,000 Timber's army fans with, with their flags. Uh, one thing we haven't mentioned yet is that the owner of the Timbers, this guy, Merritt Paulson, he came up to the Portland Timbers, the Timbers Army, after the 2-1 loss to Seattle. So when we had those 33 minutes of silence against the rivalry team, and no TIFO that night either. Usually there's a big banner that's put up. Everybody looks forward to that. They they did not have a TIFO in protest. So, you know, we lose to our arch rivals. That sucks, obviously. And the owner was really upset about it. And he walked over to Timber's army and, according to multiple eyewitnesses, basically just excoriated them, you know, swearing at them, saying it was because of you that we lost. You know, they did score within the first 33 minutes as well. And Timber's army did not take very kindly to that, of course, as well, you know, getting blamed for the loss. It's a very strange thing to do if you really sit down and think about it in that he's basically if he really believes that and he seems to then to turn around and yell at the people who he thinks could actually help them win in the future doesn't seem to be a wise move. But, you know, this is the ownership group that decided to apply this rule that only applies to Major League Soccer, but he decided to apply it as well to the Portland Thorns, the professional women's soccer team. There's no rule in, in their league handbook that says that you can't have political banners. But the owner of the Timbers, who owns both teams, said, I'm going to apply it to the Thorns anyways. He also applied it to T2, which is sort of like our second division club, Timbers 2. Mm -hmm. and, and I have to say that the reasoning he gave was pretty flimsy. He wrote how, you know, this was going to be easier for workers in the stadiums about how, oh, we'll have just one rule and you'll just have to only worry about just enforcing that. Whereas in reality, I mean, first of all, I think it sounds pretty condescending to workers as if they can't shift gears like they have such small brains that they can't quite, you know, change gears and, and have different rules apply to different situations. And second, you know, it's actually making the workers lives quite a bit harder by making them enforce a rule that doesn't even exist in these leagues on the fans and instead of just looking the other way, which would be a whole lot easier for your minimum wage job here in Portland than to have to enforce a, a very sort of a controversial rule on fans. And so, yeah, I think the, the Portland front office deserves a, quite a bit of the credit in terms of how they've carried out the, the execution of the rule and how they've expanded it in ways that they really didn't need to do. Mm, yeah, it seems like they created a real storm. One of the things I want to pick your brains on, Jules, is the parallel between sport activism and protest in the NFL with Colin Kaepernick bleeding the, the front was 2016. And what's happened here, from an outsider looking in, I saw a parallel between what Colin taking a knee and having, and, and immediately in the aftermath of that, the NFL introducing this kind of convoluted um, you you shall not protest during the national anthem kind of doctrine, and and here we have 
again, uh, you know, a, a form of protest that has garnered the wider public, the wider world following. And here we have a, a governing body again adopt an anti-protest narrative. Um, what, what's your thoughts on that? Do you feel there's a link there? Do you feel it's something wider? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think there's no question right now that there is a revitalized field for activism in the sphere of sports in the United States. And it certainly goes back to Colin Kaepernick when he started doing his protests in August 2016. But even goes before that, there were some players in the Women's National Basketball Association who wore T-shirts, you know, revolving around issues with Black Lives Matter and some police shootings of young black men. In, in the United States. So this has been something, There's there's been a renaissance here. Mm. And I think that you're right to read what's happening now within that renaissance. And I think if you look at what happened with Kaepernick, it's because of the United States right now having really vibrant social movements. I mean, I personally believe that when you see upsurges in athlete activism, it's because there are social movements around that have laid the terrain properly to sort of make space for athletes to become athlete activists. And right now you do have a lot of vibrant movements and you have for a number of years, um, whether it's Black Lives Matter, whether it's Native activists, Native American activists around pipeline construction, and many others. And now, especially with the the new president, you know, elected in 2016, that causes a controversy every you know couple minutes. You have a lot of groups that are, have risen up to fight against that, and and how he structures permission. President Trump does for all manner of white nationalists to say all manner of hateful things, and so. My general approach to understanding the an uptick in athlete activism is to see the wider terrain of activism, and that has certainly become more vibrant recently. It, it, that, that segues nicely into kind of what was going to be a, my, my tying up question, Jules, because I know you're, you're on a tight time frame. Something that I, I deeply admire within the, the American sports field is this penchant is the wrong word, but athlete activism and even fan activism is something that is quite remiss, uh, remiss within football in general. It's remiss within many facets of sport. And yet across the field in, in American sport for a long time and from college sport up to professional sport, there has always been a vein of activism. Mm -hmm. I guess with, with platforms of social media now, it's easily digested by the, the wider world. But with the U.S. women's national team and their, their fight for equal pay with, you know, like you were saying, the, the women's national basketball players, their protests for, for Black Lives Matter, Colin Kaepernick, um, the the young man who was on Dave Zirin's show last week, I think his name is Race something, I can't remember. Yeah, Race but, Bogan, right, the fencer. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, his protest and, and the Portland Timbers army and, you know, the supporters groups, uh, fan protests and anti-fascist protests. Why do you think that is? The US is kind of a leading light in this, really. Huh. Um, finally, we're a leading light in something positive. I know, it's crazy. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think a lot of it is because we're living in sort of an extended, hyper-politicized moment right now. And it, it's only become more intense because of the Trump presidency. It was already pretty bad in terms of whipsaw inequality. I mean, the inequality in the United States is just gobsmacking. It's jaw-dropping. And I think people have really wisened up to that. We've seen an uptick in leftist movements, a rise in socialism in the United States. The Democratic Socialists of America has been building 
heavily since uh, the 2016 election. They're up to about 60,000 members right now. So we're living in this hyper-politicized moment. I think also with some of those um, examples that you gave, especially when it comes to people like LeBron James, and maybe to a slightly lesser extent, people like Megan Rapino, but certainly when it comes to a lot of the activism in the NBA, you're talking about people who are financially insulated. Even the NFL, where the careers are pretty short, some of those guys are making so much money uh, that they feel like they can you know, go for it in a way that if you're racing Bowden, the fencer, uh, you're actually taking quite a bit more of a of a risk in some respects, at least financially. On the other hand, Rayson Bowden is a white guy, and usually not as much hate uh, is poured upon you if you happen to be a white person. I mean, I think the examples are are pretty obvious. Like, if you just look at President Trump's Twitter feed, who does he go after? He goes after Colin Kaepernick. He goes after African American journalists like Jamel Hill. He doesn't really say much. He doesn't say anything about race in Bowden. He doesn't say anything about Chris Long, a National Football League player who's been outspoken on issues just like Kaepernick. So, you know, I think part of it has to do with race. Part of it has to do with a hyper-politicized moment. Some of it has to do with class and the insulation that professional sports salaries are bringing these days. But all of them are definitely coming together. And what I think is a really exciting and much-needed moment, because one thing about athletes speaking out and supporters group like Timbers Army speaking out is that it really widens the terrain for discussion. I mean, there's just more and more people talking about these issues that would never otherwise be interested in talking about politics. But Colin Kaepernick makes them do that. Michael Bennett makes them do that. He's another player in the National Football League who's been incredibly outspoken on issues. In fact, he he wrote his autobiography with uh, a little bit of help from Dave Zirin as well. A great book. I highly recommend it. So there's just so many people that are speaking out right now. And it's just a really exciting time to be here in the United States. And I just can't wait to see what happens in these next few weeks, especially with the NFL opening back up again as well. The National Football League with its season starting and all these players that are still protesting. Well, I can't wait to see what they do. Well, Jules, you know, I just want to say a massive thank you for giving me the time. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to you speak. I could um, I could easily steal more of your time. But um, you are a very busy man being a, a professor of Portland University and published author. Um, I'm just very grateful for the time that you've given me. So a massive thank you and uh, wish you all the best. All right. Hey, thank you, Joe. Really, really great. And uh, can't wait to keep listening to your show. Thanks a lot. I just want to thank Jules for giving me the time to discuss a topic that I think has wider reaching implications in the aspect of censorship and on what it can mean further down the line. Um, Jules's work can be found on his website, julesboycoff.org. Um, Jules can be found on Twitter at Jules Boycoff. Uh, his work has featured on The Nation. There's a fantastic article up there at the moment with Desiree regarding the protests in Fukushima about the Tokyo 2020 uh, Olympics that's going on there. A really interesting article to read, that one. So thanks again for that, Jules. And from me, thanks for listening. If you'd like to rate and like the show, please do on Apple uh, and follow and like on Twitter and share the, the podcast. will be greatly appreciated. Uh, I'm at Janola's Left Foot on Twitter and uh, Race the Bottom is at RTTB Podcast. Thanks for listening and speak soon. You are listening to Ray Ray Ray.